Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Well, I'm going to go ahead and start. Uh, Jessica had asked a question a minute ago, and it was a very good question. And the reason that I decided to do what I'm doing today is because I was thinking about her and I was thinking about a few other people who are new, who have who've been fairly new to the group, that, you know, we've been working very hard on the indicative mood active here the last five or six weeks. We've really been working on our tenses, really been working hard on them. And it hit me, you know, that's all well and good. But if somebody came in here new, they would be somewhat lost. And so I decided to take some steps back and really review what we did back in, say, January, uh, even before that, and talk a little bit more about nouns. And we're going to start a little bit over again and uh, kind of review some of that stuff in the next several weeks. But for those of you that have been here, I don't think you'll mind it because I have a feeling that some of us don't know this as well as we should either. So we'll see. But if I were to ask uh, Carla, I don't know if you can talk to me now or not, but uh, I was just curious as what you would say the biggest difference between Latin, say, and Spanish is. I would say that, um, for, well, there are a couple of things. First of all, Spanish is not case. You know, it doesn't do all the declensions. And Spanish only has two genders, which would be masculine and feminine. They don't have the neuter. So I'd say those are the the two big and and um, the two biggest differences. You know, I could go on and on, but I think those are the two structural differences. I think that's a very good uh, assessment, and that's what I would have said. And the biggest thing is that if you have never had an inflected language, what's called an inflected language, like Latin is, you have probably no idea what we're talking about when we say cases. But basically, <laughs> Latin. The biggest thing about Latin is that every word, especially if it's a noun, every word has an ending, and that ending shows you how the word is used in the sentence. Um, And that's different than Spanish. Uh, Spanish has difference in verb endings. You know, you say, blah, 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 or whatever. Uh, Yeah. But you don't change nouns. For example, if you say, el perro, if you say, el perro, Está in, in la casa, pero goes at the beginning of the sentence. And if you say, quiero el perro, pero is still the same. It doesn't change whether it's the direct object, I love the dog, or whether it's the subject, the dog is in the house. That word is el perro, and it stays the same unless you make it plural, in which case it's what, los perros? I think that's right. Yes, los perros. Um, now they do do. Um, they do sometimes change word order uh, because remember, Spanish is a um, monotonic language, so you emphasize. So they'll either add a pronoun, or sometimes they'll put another part of the sentence in a different position to um, to um, emphasize it. So okay. there's that. Well, and of course, your pronouns come in English. Uh, in Spanish, before the verb, like your direct object pronouns, that kind of stuff too. But um, so but unlike mostly, French, they they can leave them out. You know, they can say hablo, hablas, habla, hablamos, hablais. But in French, you have to say je parle. Yeah, you have to say je. No, but I mean your object pronouns come before oh, yes, the verbs. Yes, yeah, yes. And they're indirect. 
So that's Spanish. Or you can attach them to with commands. Conmigo, contigo, or something. Yeah. Okay. I do remember a little bit of Spanish. Well, I like <laughs> Spanish. I wish I had majored in Spanish, French, and Latin. That would have been the perfect major for me to have. Um, but anyway, uh, but Latin doesn't do that. Latin nouns totally are dependent for their meaning on for how they are in the sentence on the endings. So you could take a sentence like, you could take a sentence like John hit Bill or Bill John, and you could put those words in the same order. But if you had the right ending on John and the right ending on Bill, you would know who it was that got hit and who it was that, <laughs> that had the pain. You would know that. And that's the biggest thing that's different about Latin and Spanish. And that's what you new people might not have realized. Like we read a story last week and you might have wondered how come sometimes words have U.S. on them and sometimes that same word might change and have a U.M. on it? Why? And, that, and so it occurred to me that we should start all over again and talk about cases. And so today we're going to talk about nominative and accusative case only. Next week, we're going to talk about nominative and accusative case of neuter nouns. And then from there, we're going to go on and do the rest of the cases. And then we'll do adjectives. Then we'll do pronouns. A little bit. So this will give you a chance to kind of catch up. And for those of us that have been here a while, at the very end of your lesson before the song, I put in a little self-test. Uh, except you're going to have to wait till next week to get the answers. But I made a test up to see how well you know the indicative mood, how well you know your tenses. And so it'll be a little, a little test for you just to see how well you got this. But we won't give you a grade, so you won't fail. I mean, you'll fail for yourself, but you won't fail. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, let's talk about cases a minute. Most nouns in Latin have cases. Most nouns show their function in a sentence by the ending, not by the word order. Now, there are some words that don't do it. The word nihil, for example, meaning nothing. That word never changes form. It's nihil, 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 whether it's a direct object, whether it's a subject, whatever it is, it never changes form. But there aren't many of those, much to my students' regret. <laughs> Most <laughs> nouns change form. I can remember I used to like to talk about Latin even when I was in ninth grade. And this friend of my parents who had had Latin used to always say, I don't know why they decline nouns in Latin. Why don't they just leave them alone? And I never knew what he was talking about. I never understood what he meant until I, I guess I thought about it later. I thought, oh, he doesn't like the declensions. That's what he's talking about. He'd rather just use the nominative all the time. And that would be wonderful, except Latin doesn't do it. And so we have to learn these endings. So nouns in Latin then show how they're used in the sentence by the ending. And these endings are called cases or case endings, if you want. And so when you see a noun in a sentence, you have to know four things about that noun. And these four things are, first, you got to know, is it nominative case? Is it accusative case? The nominative case is used for the subject. The accusative case is used for the direct object. And then there are other cases, which we'll learn later. Genitive is for possession. Dative is indirect object. Ablative is place from which or by means of or different things like that. Then you got to know the gender. Is the noun masculine, feminine, or neuter? And that's not easy in Latin, as easy it is in Spanish. In Spanish, you know, you say el perro, 
or lakasa, and that L and that la tell you what gender a noun is. And mm-hmm. to some extent, the endings do too, like perro ending in O, casa ending in A. Well, in Latin, we don't have a definite article. Latin does not have a word like the. It doesn't have it. It's funny that you, you would think it would. So if I say the word puella, that means the girl or a girl. And you have to fill you have to fill the blank in. You have to fill in the blank on that. So is it a girl or the girl? Karen, uh, hi, you missed our beginning, but we're doing something for you new people today. Uh, I mean, well, we're going to be doing it for a while. We're reviewing cases. So um, if you don't know what cases are, my lesson sort of explains it, but I'm explaining it right now. So Latin then doesn't have a word for the uh, or a. Uh. Uh, now, so you have to know when you see a noun, the case, you have to know the gender. Is it masculine, feminine, or neuter? Now, if it ends in A, it's usually feminine. If it ends in U.S., it's usually masculine. If it ends in U.M., it's usually neuter. But there's a lot of variety even then. So you'll see as we go along about that. And then you have to know whether the noun is singular or plural. That's number. And there are different endings for that. And then you have to know what group the noun belongs to. The nouns can belong to one of five groups. And these groups are called declensions. Uh, just a fancy way of saying group. And so you can have group one nouns or first declension nouns, group two nouns, second declension nouns, group three nouns, third declension nouns, etc. Okay? okay? So what we did today is just learn the nominative and accusative. I showed you them in my notes. So if a noun is first declension, it ends in A in the nominative. And that's the basic form of the word that you'll see in a dictionary, in a vocab list. That's the basic form of the word, the nominative, puella, meaning the girl, a girl. Now, to make the direct object form, the accusative, you simply add an M to that. So if you see puellam, that means something like, and I put them in parentheses, I verbed the girl, whatever the verb is you want to supply. I love the girl. I see the girl. I kiss the girl. Whatever. Okay. So that girl got verbed, you could say. Okay. So if something gets verbed, that's the direct object. If something is verbing, that's the subject. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, to make to make the plural, puelli is the nominative plural, the subject that's verbing. The girls are doing something, whatever it is they're doing. And then the accusative, A-S, you add an S to it. And it means, like, I love the girls, I see the girls, I verb the girls, whatever that verb is you want to put in there. Is everyone clear on this much? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Second declension nouns end in U-S. So, you have Sarawis, a slave or the slave. I don't always repeat this all the time because I figure you know it. And this noun is uh, masculine. The the first one, Puella, was feminine. Serum means like I love or I see or I be a slave. And then in the plural, say, are we slaves? The slaves are doing something. And then the accusative, OS, Serwos, uh, etc. Okay, now we come to the tough declension, the third declension. These nouns can end in anything in the nominative, anything. They can end in S, they can end in O, they can end in uh, X, they can end in, well, you name it, they can end in anything. And you have to be told what the, 
what the accusative is. You have to be told what that is. So moose means mouse, believe it or not. So if I want to say I like a mouse or I saw a mouse or I trapped a mouse, I can't say moose. I have to say murim. Um, and you can imagine little Roman children probably said musem or something, but it's murim. <laughs> um, and the plural is mures. And the accusative and nominative plural are the same for this. So mures, mures. Fourth declension, you won't see too many nouns. You see a few. I gave you one, manus, meaning hand. It looks just like a second declension noun. And you might not know the difference, except that the plural is different. So manus means hand. By the way, that's where we get manual labor. That's where we get a book, like a biology manual, because you hold it in your hand. Anything that's manual is something you do with your hand. Manual labor, etc. That's where we get that from. Hmm. Uh, manumission, some of you might have heard that word. It's a fancy way of saying freeing someone from slavery. Sending them out of your hands what it really means. Uh, manuscript. A manuscript is something written by hand. Script meaning writing. Uh, so there's a lot of words come from that. Ma in French. And what is it in Spanish? Mono, is it? Spanish, it's mono. Mono, yeah. So ma in French, Spanish, mono. Uh, anyway, uh, the plural, though, is long U.S., and that's true for the nominative and accusative plural. Manus, manus. So the, the, the nominative is manus, but the plural is manus, manus. All right, in fifth declension, you won't say too many words. Re, uh, space is one. Space means hope. Space, and the accusative is spem. Sounds almost like spam, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> and then uh, plural is space, space. Now, then I uh, tell you gender. Most first declension nouns are feminine, but there are four masculine, which if you put their initials together, they spell the word pain. And that's a good thing because they'll be a pain for you because <laughs> you'll keep thinking they're, mas they're feminine when they're really masculine. And so they are poeta, meaning poet, because why? There weren't too many women poets back in those days. In fact, in all of Greek and Latin literature, we only have two. One is a Greek poet named Sappho, and one is a Latin poet whom we don't even know if she really existed or not, named Sulpicia. There's some poems under her name, but we think that another guy wrote them pretending that he was writing them for a woman. Um, so there aren't too many feminine poets. Uh, there aren't too many women farmers. I wouldn't say there are none, probably not too many. Uh, Incola, meaning inhabitant, that actually can be masculine or feminine, because, of course, you could have a girl being an inhabitant of something. And Nalta, meaning sailor, there certainly weren't any feminine sailors. So if you put those words together, poeta, agricola, incola, nauta, they spell the word pain. And you'll see later why that's important when we start using adjectives. All right, second declension nouns can be masculine or neuter. We're not going to do neuter today. We're just going to do the masculines. And you have U.S. ones and E.R. ones. All right, and the only one I gave you the example of was... Uh, was the U.S. one. Uh, no, I did give you some in the vocab, but um, third declension nouns can be anything, masculine, feminine, or neuter, and you have no clue to the gender. You have to learn it with the noun. There's no clue. 
Fourth declension nouns are mostly masculine, but monos is feminine. <laughs> and there's also, I didn't tell you that, cornu uh, is neuter. There's one cornu meaning horn. A cornucopia means a horn of plenty. That's where we get that word from. A cornet, a cornet is a certain kind of horn. And actually, um, Carla, an ice cream cone. You know how to say ice cream cone in French? No. <laughs> Cornet de glace. Oh, C -O -R -A. Cornet de glace. Cornet de, I was muted. <laughs> Cornet de glace. That's how you say And fifth declension, most nouns are feminine. Dace can be feminine or masculine in one certain uh, instance. So anyway, um, that's it. Now, I give you examples of these cases. The nominative can be the subject of a sentence. Remember, the subject is what gets verbed. I'm sorry, is what is verbing. The subject is doing the action of the sentence in most cases. It's what is verbing. So, puella ambulat, the girl walks or is walking. By the way, ambulat can mean walks or is walking. So, the girl is walking. She is verbing. She's the subject. And when you have the verb to be, est, whatever comes after that verb to be, is also nominative. That's called the predicate nominative. So uh, the sailor is a girl. The word girl would be nominative and it would be a predicate nominative. That's, by the way, why in English, it's really correct and not wrong if someone calls up and says, is Carla there? I want to say, wrong. it's really, this is she. <laughs> yeah, it sounds funny. And the, and the problem is in in Sorry. And it, so you would think it would be me. Like, it's me. No, it's, it's not. It, huh. um, I was at a P, uh, ACB presentation one time where that came up. Some of you might remember a guy named John Taylor. An ACB member. Can you all hear me all right? Yeah, you were oh. fading in and out, but I hear you now. Okay, good. Uh, there was a guy named John Taylor who used to work for NFB and then became an ACB member. And he said one time he was given, he was going to hire somebody for a job. And he called him. And he said, is Joe there? And Joe said, this is him. He said, never mind. <laughs> he hung up. He, said, he didn't want to talk to him. He wanted to talk to This is he. Uh, I don't think the job was grammar, but I guess Mr. Taylor was a grammarian. And he didn't like that. So he didn't hire him. <laughs> So you never know when these little things will, you never know when these little things will be important. <laughs> you never know. Uh, any comments on the nominative case? So not subject, predicate, nominative. Now, accusative, two uses. The direct object, what gets verbed, will be in the accusative. What gets verbed. And notice that in Latin, the normal word order in a Latin sentence is the, the subject, object, and the verb. The verb comes last nine times out of ten. It doesn't have to, but it usually will. And if it doesn't, it probably means the author wants to it probably means the author wants to give some different emphasis to that sentence. Uh, so, for example, the sentence I give you, servus puellam amat, means the slave loves the girl. But what if I really wanted to emphasize loves? I might say, I'm not Sarah was Puelam. 
and the meaning is exactly the same. I might say, what if I want to emphasize the girl? The slave loves the girl, not the woman. Then I would say, I could say, Puelam servus amat. And I put Puelam first, but I'll know what it means. It won't change the meaning at all. It'll just change the emphasis. Okay, so I can put these words in any order I want. And the meaning will not change unless I change the ending. That's the most important concept for you guys in Latin to get. If you get that concept, you've got the biggest part of learning Latin. Well, I mean, in a way, you've got a good understanding. You can get that. And that's one of the neat things about Latin poetry, because they can put words all over the page. But if you know the endings, and they, they can paint word pictures with poet, poems. We saw that uh, a few times already. Uh, but uh, if you have the endings right, you can always know what the meaning is. So that's kind of neat. Hmm. Uh, Gary, I had a question that I've always wondered, and you probably, I don't know, nobody seems to know because you weren't living at the time of the Romans. You're not that old. Okay. But do you not think quite. Latin was a, a monotonic or polytonic language? Well, it's not like Greek. Greek is a is a tonic language, and if you do the accents right, it really can, it really, every word, you know, has a rise and fall in tone. So, like, in Greek, if I want to say, uh, if I want to say the word for man, I would say anthropos. I would raise the first part because it has an accent. But if I change the declension, I would say anthropi. That's the genitive. So, the, the, the tone would change depending on where the accent goes. And that's why they wrote, that's why they developed the system of accents, is to try to show that in writing. Now, it's kind of fallen off now in pronunciation, because quite frankly, it's hard to do. So, um, um, they, don't but, do, they don't use tones, though, for emphasis the way we do. Like to emphasize. I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't say they don't. I wouldn't say they don't. I would say they use them the same way the Chinese and the Japanese do. In Greek, now we're talking about. Uh, see, the the know, Chinese is definitely polytonic. Spanish yeah. is monotonic. You cannot yeah, Spanish use Spanish. And so is Latin. Latin, I would say, is monotonic. The only thing that so Latin you know, would be. Like, oh, right. Somebody. somebody yeah. We converted. Carrie, uh, yes, I try to find it. Carrie, okay. yeah. I was yeah. going to say, can you mute that if you can? I was I trying to it. find out which one it was, but I guess they left now. I know it's hard. It's hard to find out something. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, uh, so Carla, my answer is Greek definitely is is monotonic. Latin, I would say, is I mean, the Greek is a polytonic. Latin is monotonic. I would say. Um, but Latin does do something that English doesn't, and that is that in Latin poetry, you hold the long vowels about twice as long as you do the short vowels. Uh, and that's a different concept than we have. But I would say they used expression just about like we do. I would say they would. So, for example, if they want to say the slave loves the girl, they might say, Servus puella mama. Something like that. Murim. Um, Murimbuella, we get the girl saw a mouse. It's really <laughs> uh, so I would say they do that, uh, but not. But in Greek, you actually do have both the tonicness of the accent, but then you also, I'm sure, they would put things um, in different uh, in different uh, expression. You know, depending on what they were trying to say. 
you would have the accent and the expression. Um, the accusative case can also be used with prepositions. Now, in English, you never use... Now, in English, we don't really have cases, although we do with pronouns. Uh, some people would say that in English, we have cases in pronouns. For example, they would say that I is the nominative case in English, and me is the objective case of the pronoun. Some people would say that. Um, that in pronouns, we do have cases. Of course, in Old English, they used cases. Well, the reason I bring that up is you never use the nominative case in English with prepositions. You never say, um, come here and sit by I. <laughs> you say, come here and sit by me, right? You never right. use the nominative case of preposition. You never say, that's near, that's near he. You say, that's near him or whatever. And the same thing is true of Latin. Latin never uses the nominative case for prepositions. Prepositions, by the way, are what? Little tiny words that show direction, like up down, sideways, forward, backward, around, words like that. So I gave you a few of them that take the accusative. Some prepositions take the accusative, and some prepositions in Latin take what's called the ablative. And so for right now, we're going to learn these few. Odd meaning toward is one that does. Apud meaning at the house of or among. In meaning into, and inter meaning between. Sub meaning down under, that is not lying under, but going from being not under to being under. Trans meaning across. And then I give you a working vocab. These are the words we're going to be using in these sentences in this lesson. Agricola, meaning farmer. It's where we get agriculture from. Amica, meaning friend, and that's a female friend. Uh, and even can be used to mean a girlfriend. Uh, or just a female, female friend. It's where you get amigo or amiga, amiga in Spanish, ami in French. Casa meaning cottage or hut. And I think that's the same word in Spanish, isn't it? Except I guess it just means house. Uh, and that would be casita. Yes, it is. But casa is house. Yeah, it's casa house is house. Instead of cottage right. or hut, but yeah, still. Casina would be cottage, I guess. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's Femina means woman. It's one word for woman. There are two. It's one. Uh, of course, you can see the feminine from it. Uh, and by the way, I, I should explain, if you see these little marks, all they are is to show you how to pronounce. The long E is A, whereas the short E is E. And so I've been trying to use more of them to kind of help you with pronunciation a little bit. Femina, meaning okay. woman. Epistula, meaning letter. We get the word epistle from it. Uh, no, an epistle is not a female apostle. No. Someone <laughs> wants it. Um, Incola, meaning inhabitant. We already talked about that. Nauta, meaning sailor. Poeta, meaning poet. Puella, meaning girl. Now, the, the, those are the first declension nouns. Now we go to the second declension nouns. And I have to give you the accusative of some of them. Agar agrum means field. We get Again, agriculture and agrarian, things like that. Oh, no. Uh oh. I'm sorry. I'm getting, uh, I'm getting a, uh, getting a stupid software update, which I don't really want right now. Can you still hear me? Yes. Oh, good. Okay. Amicus means a male friend. That's like amigo in Spanish. And again, it could be a boyfriend or a friend. Puer puerum 
I had to show you that accusative because it has an e extra e in it. We get the word puerile. If I were to say quit acting so puerile, that means like childish. Weird. <laughs> hmm. Lupus means wolf, and we get the word lupus from it. it. There's a disease called lupus, and that disease is a it jumps on you like a wolf mm. uh, almost, and that's why they call it that. It's a very very bad disease to have. Mm. There's a flower, by the way, called a lupin, and nobody knows why that's why that's related to that word. Nobody seems to know. It's nothing like a wolf, so you don't mm. really know. Um, ramus, meaning branch. You get the word ramification. Something that has ramifications has connections with something else. Oh, and then you got, you got the rama for Spanish. Yep. Rama for Spanish, and I can't think of it in French. I can't. I should know that. Bronze. Maybe just bronze. Yeah. <laughs> We're making it too hard. Sarawis. Uh, slave. Of course, we get served. Stuff. And by the way, Carla, did you know that if there's a greeting in German? Service. It's yes. like, I don't I it, don't know what kind, but I guess it's from old Latin. I guess they used to call people that. Yes, and um, sometimes they'll do it to, um, um, it's one of the things they'll do for a toast. Oh, okay. Always. Very good. Don't, I don't say service. Weir means man. Weir, weirum. And we get the word viral. I guess that's the only word. Uh, we don't get virus from it. Virus comes from the word meaning poison, which is virus. So mm -hmm. if you want to say men are poison, you'd say weary sunt virus. That man's poison. We are est virus. Now we're going to third declension. Canis means dog, and that's we get canine from it. Spanish uh, cano, I think. Right? Yeah. No, perro. That's right. She's perro. Yeah. In French, sort of comes from it. Comes from it, sort of, yeah. yeah Homo. Most, uh, most, most um, what do I want to say, um, um, removed from the yeah, Romance languages from that. Yeah, I would say you're right about that. I would say you're right. In fact, it messes up the spelling something terrible. Uh, homo hominem, meaning man, and that's where we get things like Homo sapiens and. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, the technical name for man is that. Lex legis or lakes legis means law, um, legal, you get from it. I had to give you on these third declensions, I've got to give you the genitive. I mean, the accusative. Otherwise, you won't know what it is. You could never guess that hominem is the direct object of homo. You would never guess that legem was lex unless I told you. Mus murim, meaning mouse. And that's all the third ones I give you for right now. Manus, meaning hand, it's fourth declension. Senatus, meaning senate. You can see where that comes from. Yeah. Sonitus, meaning sound. Dies, meaning day. And race, meaning thing. And space, meaning hope. We don't get too many derivatives from those. Uh, space, we could get space. In, indirectly, the word despair and all that kind of stuff. But adjectives, irratus, meaning angry, and lightus, meaning happy. Irratus, we get the word irate. You're irate, you're angry. Amat, 
means he or she loves. We get the word amateur. If you're an amateur photographer, you do it because you love it. That's why you do it. Ambulat means walks. We get ambulatory. If you're an ambulatory patient at a hospital, you can walk. And we get the word perambulator. We talked about this earlier. Anybody remember what a perambulator is? Baby carriage. Yep. Baby you take the little deer thing and put her in the stroller and the baby carriage and walk her through the park. That's why they call it. It's a, it's a through walker. Uh, pram. They short that, shorten that to pram uh, a lot of times. Est, he is. Habet, he has. Laudat, he praises. Quartat, he carries. Sunt, they are. And uh, Timet, he fears. And if you want to say they, if you have to change any of these verbs to say they do something, take off the T and add an NT and it'll, it'll work. So Habet, he has. Habet, they have. All right. So now you have some homework that you can do for this week. You have exercises. We have complete these declensions like the ones that I do for you up above there. Try to do them. You have some sentences to translate in English and in Latin. You have somewhere I give you the girl loves the boy and you have to say the boy loves the girl, but don't change the word order. Keep everything the same. Just change the endings. And so it'll be a challenge for you especially for you new people, <laughs> especially for you new people. Now, for us that are oldsters, we're going to go on with our old lesson now with our verbs. And uh, I ask you to change these verbs from present, the future, perfect. And so we won't take up a lot of time in class doing some more boring type work. I'll do that for you and I'll let you check it. Uh, and then I'll also show you how to finish your synopsis. Uh, but I thought we would translate these sentences under C and maybe do our little reading at the end and then talk a little bit about Roman history again. All right. So number one of C, it says, Si baculum yekerit canes ferrocitere latrabunt. What does that sentence mean? Si baculum yekeris. Canes latrablum. I can't find where you are. Where are you? Letter C down in our part of the lesson that was from last week. So down uh, below the excerpt. I down got below. It. Okay. C baculum yacaris. If what? If you throw a stick. Yep. What'll happen? <laughs> Somebody might throw it back. The dogs will bark fiercely. The dogs will bark fiercely. By the way, <laughs> notice what it really says is if you will have thrown the stick. Uh, remember, Latin is very particular about expressing these conditions. Latin would say if you will have thrown the stick, but English prefers to say if you throw the stick. This is one of these. Future more vivid conditions. All right, number two. Ubiad opidum veneramus awunculus nostrum videbimus. Awunculum nostrum videbimus. By the way, interesting little fact awunculum means uncle, but guess what? It means mother's brother. 
In other words, if it's your father's brother, it's a whole different word for uncle. It's popped through. It. Oh, huh. so that's kind of an interesting little thing. You know, you wouldn't, if someone says Uncle Edward in English, we don't know who he is. <laughs> but if someone says Awunculus Edwardus, we know he's mom's brother. Oh, huh. By the way, we get the word avuncular. Someone gives you avuncular advice. It's the kind of advice an uncle would give you. Huh. Okay. Ubiad opidum wainerimus. What? If, when we go, we'll have gone to the town, we will then see our uncle? Right. When we come, and it's perfectly all right to say, when we come to town, because that's what it does in English, but it really does say, when we will have come to town. When we come to town, we'll see our, we'll see our uncle. All right. Number three. See Argos Puellas Serwawarit Trace Errant Lightai. This is uh, from our story we had way back one time. Argos is a dog, remember? So if Argos what? Saves? Is it saved? Yep. If we'll Argo have saved saves the girls, or will have saved the girls, the mothers will be happy. The mothers will be happy. Good. All right. Number four. Nisi apudme weneris tenon widebo quod postea atenas ebo. Yeah. Okay, so unless, Nisi means unless, unless you come to my house tomorrow, unless you come to my house tomorrow, <laughs> uh, no, I'm sorry, unless you come to my house, I won't see you because tomorrow I'm going to Athens. I will go, I will go to Athens. I both. I both. Ebo? Ebo means I will go. Ebo. That's a funny looking word, isn't it? <laughs> but anyway. yeah. All right, number five. Cross pueri ubi ad lunum erint magistrum igrum inwenient. That's not good. Notice the way this is written, by the way. This is perfectly good Latin, but it looks, it's not very good English. But notice what happens. The word pueri is the subject of both sentences. So we put it outside of the, of, the, uh, of the when clause, but it really belongs in the when clause. Like, so tomorrow the boys, when they, or tomorrow when the boys, tomorrow when the boys go to school, literally will have gone to school. That's that same word, erent. They will see, they will find the teacher sick. <gasps> okay. All right, number six. Sihorati curiati os winkerent, romani errant victores. This is from last week's story. If the Horatii, what? Uh, I don't know. I think. Comes from Winko, Winkere, Wiki, oh, Julius Caesar. Yeah. Conquer. Right. If the, right. If the Horatii conquer the Curatii. Literally, if the Horatii will have conquered the Curatii, 
the Romans what? Uh, will be victors. Will be victors, yeah. All right, seven. Ubi pastor ad flumen tiberem perwenerent infantes et lupum videbit. This is, again, this is from our story about Romulus and Remus. So when the, what? When the pastor? Um, What's pastor mean? Is it shepherd? Yep. Okay. So when the shepherd will have arrived at the Tiber River, literally when the shepherd arrives, I mean, when the shepherd arrives at the Tiber River, he will what? He will see a large, he will see wolf. A wolf and, and the infantes. Uh, and the baby. And remember, the baby? Yeah, remember Romulus and Remus, he saw them um, uh, being suckled by a wolf. I thought it was baby wolves. <laughs> no, now, if it were baby wolves, it would say <laughs> lupos infantes. Oh. And it probably wouldn't have an et in it. But don't feel bad because that's the kind of mistake a lot of Latin students make. All right. See, Gaius ad Italiam non redirit et marciam duxerit marciam misera eri. Okay. Again, this is from our story. Um, Gary, it's about a quarter till. Oh, thank you. If Gaius, remember he's our character, if Gaius will not have returned to Italy from Greece, and if he will not have married Marcia, literally if he will not have led her, meaning led her into matrimony, Marcia will be miserable mm -hmm. if she wants to get married. <laughs> All right, two more, two more, two or three more. Quod lupercus martialem ad canam non invitaverit, martialis irratus erit et luperco nocebit. This is from our little poem about Marshall. Remember he said, I'll find a way to hurt you since you haven't invited me to dinner. Uh -huh. So because lupercus um, will not Had have not invited, does yet. not invite, we'd say does not invite. Because lupercus doesn't invite Marshall to dinner. Dinner. Literally, we'll have not invited Marshall to dinner. Marshall will be angry, angry. and he will hurt Lupercus mm -hmm. by coming when he invites him the next day. All right. <laughs> but a lot of some of these sentences are are kind of famous, are kind of like famous sentences. Here's a nice romantic sentence. Here's a nice romantic sentence. If If you will have made a long trip, if you make a long trip, darling, Luxmea means my light. That's how the Romans would say darling. If you make a long trip, darling, what a great love will flee in a short time. What a great love will flee in so short a time. Remember, that's like that poem we had, remember, uh, a couple weeks ago. And then we have some famous poems, some famous sentences. Actio recta non erit nisi recta furit voluntas. Here's a good one for Christmas time. Here's a good one for Christmas. The action will not be right unless the wish is right. Meaning, 
don't just give somebody a present to say you gave them a present, but really like, really want to give them a present. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So the action will not be right unless the wish will have been right. That's uh-huh. by Seneca. That's a famous sentence. Uh, and then we have one more from Ovid. Ovid uh, got exiled and he found out after he got in trouble, he had no friends, really. <laughs> so it says, as long as you will be fortunate or happy, prosperous, as long as we would say in English, as long as you are prosperous. But what it really says is as long as you will be prosperous, uh, you'll have many, you'll count <laughs> many friends. Mm-hmm. But when the times will have been cloudy, you will be alone. So when the times are cloudy, you'll be alone. Mm -hmm. And then we have a little poem here. And this is kind of a cute poem. Uh, Clinicus Clinicus Herodes, Trulam subduxerat igro. De princess, speaks it. Stolte, quid ergo, bibis? Now, first of all, we got to find out what a clinicus is. We get the word clinic from it. A, a clinicus is a visiting doctor. He's mm-hmm. not a regular doctor. I mean, he's a regular doctor, but he's the kind of regular doctor that we never see today that makes house calls. <laughs> he makes house calls. That's why they call him a clinicus. However, these house call doctors had a bad reputation for doing two things. One thing they would do is steal stuff if they could. So if you had like a golden ornament on your mantelpiece they might just steal it and the second thing they would do is try to seduce your slaves <laughs> so those are the two big things that they would do okay and so notice what uh what, what uh marshall says about this guy dr herodes that's his name what did he do it said subduxerat what tense is that by the way past perfect yep so how do we translate had whatever he did. Had stolen. Had stolen. <laughs> he had stolen a ladle from a sick man. In other words, he was visiting this sick guy, and he saw a ladle sitting out somewhere, like you would pour a drink with out of a mixing bowl into a cup, like you'd pour from a punch bowl into a cup, something like that. <laughs> he figured, all right, pretty good, man, I'm going to get it. So he stole it. Okay? So he had stolen a ladle from a sick man. All right, but De Princess, what? Caught. I mean, somebody saw him do it and reported on. Caught. What does he say? What does he say? Stupid, what are you drinking? Yeah, stupid, what? Then, are you drinking? Meaning, you're sick. You're not supposed to be drinking. So I took this away so you wouldn't be able to drink. Meaning, uh-huh. like, drink alcohol, you know. I mean, I don't think he meant you couldn't drink water. But he's trying to say, well, it's dummy. I didn't think you, what, are you going to drink then? I'm, t- you know, I'm trying to protect you from drinking. <laughs> so anyway, that's a cute little poem. Uh, and then the last thing in this lesson uh, before our songs is just, like I said, a self-test. A self-test. It's all multiple choice. So all you have to do is look at the 20 questions and write the best letter. Carla, just write your letter somewhere and save it so you won't lose it. <laughs> she, she always loses her uh, her assignment, so it's a good little test. Next week we'll we'll go over the answers to it and uh, see how you do. And but don't worry if you don't do well, we'll probably review it again sometime. I'm sure we will. So uh, anyway, 
you all want to sing a song mm -hmm. or not yeah yeah all right which one you want to sing oh well let's do them both for he's a jolly good fella what what comes first uh let's see i gotta find it which one did i give you first yeah i gave you for he's a jolly good fella we'll sing that one first ready now you know mute when we sing because otherwise it'll sound awful we'll, we'll bust carrie's ears if we do ready Nomile es bonus amigas, ele es bonus amigas, ele es bonus amigas. Quod name on a get, neget. Quod name on a get, neget. Quod name on a get, neget. Nomile es bonus amigas. Quod name on a get, neget. I used to do that for fun. Kids like that. They didn't quite know when I was going to come off that note there. Anyway, let's do the girls' version of it. Namila Espona Amica, Ela Espona Amica, Ela Espona Amica. Quote name on a get, neget. Quote name on a get, neget. Quote name on a get, neget. Namila Espona Amica. Quote name on a get, neget. Now, Kesara Sara. Here we go. Ubi Eran Puendula. Matrim rogabam de postero. Eron epocra out ways. E amihi di kebab. Tu ne quae siris. Skire ne fas tibi. Quem finim di deterent. Umelius erit. Quid quid erit pati. Tum fierem virgo pokra amicum rogabam quidakidat. Erimus nebiati abdi with taste et amicus di kebat. Tune quae siris skire nefas tibi quem finem di dilerent ut melius erit. Quid quid erit pati. Nunc filiolum habeo, matrem rogaba de postero. Erit ne poker, alti waste, enere itero. Tune quae siris, skire ne fast hibi, quem finem di deterent, umelius erit. Quid quidarit pati carpe diem. There we go. Eat your heart out, Dorothy. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now let's talk a little tiny bit about Roman history. Continuing with, and actually, maybe this isn't Roman history. Maybe it's Roman mythology because it's before the historical period. But this is what the Romans thought happened. And so... This is what they thought happened, so we're going to think it happened too. The third king, remember we had the war last week with the Horatii and the Curiatii, and you remember that the Romans won, and you remember they took over Alba Longa then and annexed it into Rome. And the third king uh, continued to be pretty warlike and ruled for about 20 years, but at the end of his life, he turned to religion because he got sick. And he wanted to try to cure his illness. So he turned to religion. And he tried to perform a sacrifice to Jupiter. But he did it wrong. 
And so Jupiter struck his palace with lightning and his palace went up in flames and he died. <laughs> okay, so that's the end of the third king, Ancus Mar I mean, uh, Tullus Hostilius. Remember, his name was Tullus Hostilius. Okay, now comes, and I'm going to, by the way, I'm going to give you a handout uh, in one of your lessons with these kings' names on them and what they supposedly accomplished. So you don't have to take notes, and it's all mythical anyway. The fourth king of Rome was a guy named Ancus Martius. And again, they had to choose him after a holding of no king. They hadn't yet figured out how to deal with succession of these kings. And this fourth king combined the qualities of the third king and the second king. The third king, remember, was very warlike, and the second king was uh, very religious. And so Ancus Martius kind of combined the qualities of both these kings. Uh, so he was religious, but he also was uh, warlike. And uh, he, he uh, put a bridge, a wooden bridge across the Tiber, which is the first time the Tiber River had a bridge across it. It was a wooden, it was a wooden bridge uh, made of uh, pilings, like a floating, like a floating kind of bridge going across the Tiber. Now, during his reign, an interesting event occurred. I think I had time to tell you this. Yeah, there was a guy in it. Yeah, we got about five minutes. Yeah. Etruria, by the way. Do you know where Etruria is? It's up in the northern part of Italy. And up there, they had a very advanced civilization, much more advanced than the Romans. Uh, these people knew how to make slag heaps and, you know, uh, heaps of, you know, cement and stuff like that that the Romans didn't know how to do yet. Uh, they knew how to uh, do a lot of things the Romans didn't know how to do. I used to tease my students and say they were like Westminster High School students in one way. And that was they believed in public displays of affection. Uh, evidently, they had really rip-roaring banquets uh, back in those days. But they really were further advanced than the Romans. And so this guy who is really not from uh, up there, but he, but he comes up there, and then he wants to make it good, and he can't really make it good up there, so he comes to Rome. His name is, his real name is Lucimo, but he's going to be known as, he's going to be known by the title Tarquinius. That's going to become his name when he gets to Rome. But while he's coming to Rome, he's on his way to Rome, riding in his carriage, boom, 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 horses going along, Everything's just going along fine. All of a sudden, an eagle comes down, grabs the hat off his head, flies way up in the sky with his hat, then comes swooping back down, puts his hat back on his head. <laughs> well, you know, in those days, we might say, well, by golly, what's the matter with that bird? You know, we wouldn't take it too seriously. But in those days, that was considered an omen. And his wife was very good at interpreting omens. Her name, by the way, was Tana Quill. I know you guys are all named your daughter's Tana Quill now. Anyway, uh, <laughs> he said, honey, this means that when you get to Rome, you're going to be someone great. Because the eagle took that hat way up in the air, way up in heaven, and then brought it back and put it on your head. And that means that you're going to be someone really great in Rome. And we're going to find out he's going to become the fifth king of Rome. Okay, I'm going to stop there because I don't want to go too far over in case you 
or have any questions. Anyone want to ask me a, a question before we go? I hope everybody followed this uh, all right, especially the new part. Yep. All right. Mary, I think you did a very good job as far as really simplifying, you know, that's a good explanation you put with the deck, you know, the declensions and everything. And I, I just, you know, I think that, yeah, as I say, I envy your Latin students. I'll bet you, you were loved very much as a Latin. I was, I was hated like a rattlesnake because I failed some of them. I mean, I, I was loved and hated. <laughs> I think some really liked me. Some hated me. I kept some of them out of the honor society. So. Sort of how I am. You know, yeah, I'm loved and hated. That's the way I was. But I think on the whole, they did like me pretty well. But I, I, I like them too. I suppose well, we I should. We got to let Carrie take us off. She's going to have a fit here. Carrie, thank you. <laughs> thank we'll you. See you so much. Thank you so much. And we'll see you.